Welcome yeah. to Matinee Minutia. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Why, hello there, Mr. Smellian. How are you this fine evening? I'm pretty good. <clears throat> A little bit rainy here in upstate New York and Spuds Flats here, but... Uh, well, we put out some buckets and dishes and the various places where it usually leaks. And, well, Gertie says we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, we got the rain jackets out and we're not quite ready for the life preservers. But it was Easter recently and, um, well, we we dropped off some leftovers to to uh, mama billy and uh we had more than our share full and uh, the the, the freezer is just spilling out now <laughs> <laughs> so i am uh very much ready for spring and the, the warmer temperatures they're they're coming and going and i'm just ready for them to stay how about you well me too suddenly today i just looked around and noticed how many trees are really starting to bud out? I'm, you you could start to see some green out there, and uh, so I just I know it's just a few warm days uh, down the road. They're they're really gonna we're really gonna start seeing some green. You know, we we finally arrived at the point in our home ownership. We we decided to do more than just put our mail name on the mailbox. <laughs> um, we we actually put down a wad and, um, you know, brought some plants home and uh, started to put our name on the place. And uh, the neighbors are watching and wondering what's going to happen. <laughs> well, always leave the neighbors mystified, DJ. Always leave them mystified. <laughs> That's the best way. Oh, look at your husband's in the, uh, in the old chat room. In fact, when, before we start, let me just say who's in here. Because we got Aunt Tudor, our, uh, our favoriteest Baltimore personality, listening in. We got your husband, Billy Starsage. We've got our pal, Tommy Hashbrowns. Um, and it uh, looks like possibly R.T. Cruiser from around the world, exactly opposite us in Australia. Hmm. The land down under and proof that there is a tomorrow. <laughs> well, you know, as long it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Though, along with spring comes summer. And, you know, I, I heard a rumor that our showgirl here, Gertie, she might have been to the, the West there during a summer camp session. Is that true, Gertie? Did you, did you spend a summer uh, at a scout camp? Summer in a scout camp? What, you mean where the stupid show was? <laughs> well, South what Dakota? Yes, the Dakotas. The Dakotas, yeah. Or Warehouse 13 is... You know, listen, we were, th I was there, summer kid. Listen, I never saw this stupid warehouse on this stupid show. But anyways, I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is how wonderful the lead is. What's his name? McClintock. Oh, he sounds like he should have a 1970s detective TV series. Anyways, I think he's beautiful and they should have cast me opposite him. That's all I'm saying. 
Okay. Right. Thank you, Gertie. <laughs> well, why don't you go downstairs and do your intro? Fine. Fine. Rush me around. Yeah, fine. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Here we go. Agents Baring and Latimer both serve in the president's protection detail. One's a by-the-book book nerd. The other, a seat-of-his-pants comic nerd. During a routine operation, the two witness the thievery of a bizarre object. The trail leads them to become the latest recruits of a secret society bent on keeping powerful artifacts out of the wrong hands. They say old agents don't retire, they just put in for a transfer. Let's head to South Dakota, where there's a sweet little B&B. It's time for Warehouse 13. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. All righty, so this takes place uh, in the, the Wild West, and uh, it's uh, got a flair of sci-fi to it. But uh, before we actually discuss the show itself, we want to put your mind in the frame of what was going on at that time. Yeah, set the stage. Tell us what was going on in 2009 when the Seer show started. Righty, so the uh, world or U.S. in 2009, eventful year. U.S. Airways, flight 1549, lost power shortly after taking off from LaGuardia, New York City. Forced the plane to have a crash landing, but it was uh, successfully landed on the Hudson River, and they made a movie about it with Tom Hanks. All 155 passengers and crew were rescued with no casualties. In 2009, also, Circuit City, the uh, the big box store that was kind of the successor to Radio Shack, well, they were the number two electronics retailer then, but they announced the closing of all 567 of its U.S. stores, and that meant 34,000 people were out of work that year. <laughs> oh, my God. Were, did this ever trouble you? You know, honestly, uh, as a podcaster, especially really early on, I kind of relied on Radio Shack for a number of things. Uh, do you miss Radio Shack or? I do, but um, I, you know, I had a family member that actually worked for him. So it's kind of a chapter of our history, but um, I will say that the first flat screen monitor I ever bought was from a circuit city. So I have fond memories and they may or may not have had a line of credit with them at one point. Uh, well, you know, that's, that's how a lot of people start a credit history. Anybody's continue. Oh, right. So in 2009, also um, the 43rd president was elected, Mr. Barack Obama, actually 44. <sighs> and uh, he was sworn in and, um, 
Also to honor the 200th anniversary of the birth of Abraham Lincoln, the U.S. Mint launched a series of pennies commemorating four stages in Lincoln's life. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Stage one, log cabin. Stage two, writing on shovel with charcoal. No, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't it. <laughs> then he met that. That lovely lady. Okay, so <laughs> uh, the Peanut Corporation. Yes, that was their real name. Uh, a peanut pro peanut butter processing company uh, were uh, found to be guilty in nine deaths and more than six hundred poisonings due to salmonella. Hey. They filed for Chapter Seven bankruptcy just days after its CEO used the fifth element. Uh, yeah, fifth element. We're talking movies here. Uh, Fifth Amendment. That's, just, that's hysterical, DJ. That's hysterical. <laughs> they used the Fifth Amendment to avoid questioning by Congress. Now, I will remember that year because for a year, Peter Pan was off the shelves. Well, uh, I can't. I remember that, too. But holy cripes, I didn't know it was that long ago. It seems just like yesterday. Let's see. A big year, 2009. New Mexico became the 15th state to abolish the death penalty. Yay! Vermont legalized same-sex marriage after the legislature overrides a veto by the governor. Well, good thing they did the right thing. Pixar had their 10th feature film, Up! And uh, it had a voice by, um, oh, one of the Mary Tyler Moore cast. I forget his Ed, name right Ed now. Asner. Ed Asner. Yes, Ed Asner did uh, one of the lead characters' voices. And uh, that film was released in theaters in 2009. Governor John Lynch signed a bill allowing same-sex marriage in New Hampshire. So, Vermont and New Hampshire, we're getting a pattern here. That was a big year for us. Yes, it was. And uh, New Hampshire was the sixth state at the time to allow same-sex marriage. Uh, boy, a long list here. I'm going to run out of breath. Maybe not. Analog television broadcasts ended in the U.S. in 2009. It was a period mm. we called digital conversion. Mm. And the Federal Communications Commission required all full power stations to send their signals digitally. They they really wanted the analog signal band for military use. That's why. Uh, oh. Yes. So uh, also in 2009, the death of American entertainment, Michael Jackson, the king of pop, it mm. triggered an outpouring of worldwide grief. I remember... When that happened, I was at work, and it was on all the TVs. Uh, online reactions to the event cripple several major websites and services, including Twitter. And the abundance of people accessing the web addresses pushed internet traffic to unprecedented levels. Just a few more items for 2009, because it was a big year. Sonia Sotomayor took the judicial oath and became the third woman and the first Hispanic to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Yay! And rounding it out, the Walt Disney Company, the Mouse House, they were the parent company of ABC. Well, in 2009, top you'll remember this, they acquired Marvel Entertainment. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, in the story of Marvel Comics, which I go way back with, way, way back, um, that that was that was a thing. <laughs> and in the chat room, Tommy Hash Browns is saying, boo, he is famously not a fan of Walt Disney acquiring a lot of, of uh, 
of uh, universes, uh, as in the Marvel Universe. Uh, <clears throat> I, I kind of get it. There's problems. Uh, let's talk about celebrity deaths, uh, shall we? Because mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's uplifting. Uh, Ricardo Montalban, uh, at the age of 88, passed away that year. We know him so, so, so wonderfully for Star Trek II. And uh, DJ and I and Tommy have it on good authority, uh, according to the director of Star Trek II, as he said when we attended Far- uh, Farpoint, his chest was real, folks. Okay? Enough with the, it's not real. It was real. <clears throat> also, passing away was Paul Harvey, uh, famous radio broadcaster, Ron Silver, an actor from Silkwood, Oh God, you devil. Also passing away, Natasha Richardson. She was uh, in Nell. She was in The Parent Trap. Uh, and it's a tragic end. Uh, she died too soon. Yeah, she was the wife of Liam Neeson and the daughter of Vanessa Redgrave. She, 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 it was a skiing accident, for heaven's sakes. Anyways, Marilyn Chambers at the age of 56. <laughs> uh, beloved, infamous, uh, but nonetheless uh, an adult film star uh, in so many uh, rated RX movies that were actually on film. <laughs> we call them entrepreneurs nowadays. <laughs> That's right. And B. Arthur, a legendary actress from the Golden Girls and Maud, Dom DeLuise. I sure did like Dom. He was in Haunted Honeymoon, Honeymoon Cannibal Run, Smoking the Bad Job, a million things. And uh, we got uh, David Carradine, uh, most probably well-known from being in 1972's TV series Kung Fu. Um, but he was in, oh, just in a million feature films, and his career spanned more than six de- decades. <clears throat> Famously the son of, uh, of the Carradine, John Carradine. Uh, you would have seen him in Grapes of Wrath all those years ago. And uh, John Carradine kind of had a career in monster movies, don't you know? Uh, and McMahon. Hi-oh! Uh, <laughs> at age 86, uh, a beloved hosts of Star Search <laughs> and The Tonight Show. You know, the Star Search it was sort of the, f- the forerunner of uh, so you think you can dance or so you think you can sing or you think you can bake a cake. I don't know. All those sort of reality shows. <laughs> uh, Fair Fawcett. No. A pinup uh, model and actress from Charlie's Angels. And former wife of Lee Majors. There you go. We just did the Bionic Man. I mean, uh, the Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, and as you said, Michael Jackson. Those are. Uh, that was that was a big year for deaths, nineteen ninety two. And here is a clip from an interview with Eddie McClintock and Jonan Kelly, who plays Agent Slatimer and Baring for the Passionistas Project. They're talking about being cast in their roles. When we got to the test, usually there's two of each character. When we walked in, there was like seven or eight. 
seven or eight Micahs and seven or eight Pete's. So you just kind of go, oh, they have no idea what they want. We're just a number here, and my chance of getting this job is, is one in eight. It's, and then the guy that went in right before me, the director came out, and he said, hey, come here. And he put his, he put his arm around this guy, and he walked down the hall with this guy, and I was like, that's it. That's it. Joanne was sitting and she was like dude come hither <laughs> and uh, I sat and talked to her and she um, she kind of talked me down a little bit and she's like you know and, and she's pretty so it's always <laughs> nice to have a pretty girl pay attention in in the midst of trauma and um, and next thing you know they 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 um, pulled us in the room together pulled us in together and we had just been sitting out there talking for a while so um, I made a mistake. I, I was supposed to say showboat, and I said showbot. And he looks at me, and he stops, and he starts doing the robot. And I was going, showbot, showbot, showbot. <laughs> and he kept going. Like, and then I did stop, a, right? a Michael J- I'm not. So uh, I tried know. to kind of get him back on track with the scene and everything. And you know, she like, she like I smacked hit you me and was like, and what said, are you doing? Up, and kind on. of like, and you know, just kind of urged him back towards the lines and the dialogue. Much like um, our job. Yeah. Uh, And we left the room and they said, that's the show. Yeah, Mark Stern was like, there it is. Yeah. We need to, we need to look. We need a crazy person and a sensible person. And, and so. So DJ warehouse 13 television series airing on Mondays at 9 PM on sci-fi. What was it up against? What other shows? What was competing with it? Well, interestingly enough, this is, um, you know, just at the dawn of the age before things were, you know, exclusively streaming like they are nowadays. They, I don't even think that Netflix had had their first original series yet. But Right. Uh, I mean, may, were they still like you had to mail it in, right? You You would get the disc in the mail. Was that? Oh, you know, that's a good point. When when I moved back to New York in 09, ironically, I was still doing the discs in the mail service. And uh, so you were probably very trite there. Um, But Warehouse 13 was on the Sci-Fi Channel, and it was actually the Sci-Fi Channel's first new show since their rebranding. Now, before this, they actually were spelled SCI-FI, like the... Um, you know, the the genre of, of novels, but they needed something they could trademark. So, you know, like that uh, co-worker you've got who uh, wants their kid to have a special spelled name. Yeah. Sci-fi, S-Y-F-Y. Anyways, Warehouse 13, Mondays at 9. Opposite it on TV, competing for your attention, was Dancing with the Stars, uh, Ed McMahon's uh, grandchild, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and over on the uh, the uh, the uh, Big Brother eyeball there, CBS, they had Two and a Half Men, which then still had Charlie Sheen. <laughs> uh, NBC, the Peacock, uh, where you can find uh, Warehouse 13 online right now for free, Peacock TV. Oh, I've been I've been watching it on uh, uh, IBM, uh, uh, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I've been watching it. Oh, okay. It's in a in a few places. Um, NBC had their own um, kind of a police drama show. It's called Trauma. 
And uh, let's see now, the uh, Warehouse 13 uh, was Sci-Fi's third largest debut to date, and it garnered 3.5 million viewers. Its first six episodes were all among the top 10 highest rated series episodes on Sci-Fi. And episode six, which was called Burnout, drew 4.4 million viewers. And that set the record for Sci-Fi's highest rated show at the time. Yeah, I don't know if that still holds the record or not. So it, it, uh, Warehouse 13 came out and it, it, it was a hit on, on cable. Mm-mm, not in the very beginning. Here at the Marionette Theater, we are a, uh, a venue for many a celebrated thing, including vaudeville in our days past, and we even had a magician. And uh, one of the people that helped make this is the, uh, well, the director, the storyteller, and actually, and sometimes it's a producer. So uh, the person behind Warehouse 13, the creator, was Jane Espenson. Now, uh, she also did some writing for Star Trek The Next Generation and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series, not the movie. And, yeah, uh, and you know, a lot of, I can see the relationship there. I mean, she wrote some good stuff for Buffy and you can just see how, I think she took what she learned and she was interested in starting something new and came up with Warehouse 13, pitched it, and and they went to work on it. Yeah, and uh, she also worked on the uh, later season of Torchwood, the, the British sci-fi series that was sort of a spinoff of Doctor Who. And... Um, it was essentially the American version. They they brought the cast to the States. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was produced for um, the uh, American movie channel Showtime at the time. Ah, all right. So, um, with your permission, I'd like to uh, treat the members of our audience to a brief clip. Yeah, let's play the promo. All right. Two top government agents have just been reassigned to the middle of nowhere. Welcome to Warehouse 13. What is this place? I like to think of it as America's attic. That's cool. You're both joining me as fellow gatherers and protectors of secrets. That was just the beginning. Now, the mysteries get bigger. That chip allows you to see the future. The secrets get deeper. Just how long is this list of things we don't know? If somebody's walking through walls, the government needs to know how. And the investigations get hotter. Knock, knock. Oh, my mom. Are you? Are we talking about invisibility? So, you want a piece of me? Yeah! You take this seriously. Hey! You go, girl. Warehouse 13. Hey, let's talk about the other uh, main guy responsible for the show, the showrunner, Jack Kenny. And he's an openly gay American writer, director, actor, and producer. He signed on as the showrunner in 2008 and became the executive producer, producer of Warehouse 13. He produced 63 episodes of the series. He wrote a lot of the episodes. He directed a lot of the episodes. And, well, he even had a cameo in the series finale. He's really the driving force 
behind the show. And uh, when you read about his history, there, there's, uh, well, you can see where he was interested in the kinds of subject matter and the kinds of fantasy shows that uh, were like Warehouse 13. He was a big fan of, um, of Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. And uh, you, you can see... Even as he he wanted to create a, a bit of a universe <clears throat> where even other TV shows that related would come in and and be part of Warehouse Thirteen, and uh, one of those shows was Eureka, uh, which I don't know a whole lot about and I never saw it, but. Characters from Warehouse 13 would be on Eureka, and some characters from Eureka would be on Warehouse 13. And he, so he had this idea, you know, this very popular today of a shared universe. And there was a lot of exciting things I think he put into the show, even tiny little things, like every time there's a scene and, and they want to tell you where it's happening on Warehouse 13, uh, you know, they say, you know, uh, Russia, blah, 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 blah. It, they don't just have a title. They have a sound effect, and they do something clever in animating the title in some way. It's playful. There's a lot of little things he did that, that helped the show be a little unique and, and well, just playful. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, Jane Espenson, she was basically involved with the pilot. And a lot of people will know that when a pilot for a TV show is made, it's it's kind of like a movie. So they have to, you know, wait to see if it's popular with the test audience. And then the studio decides, okay, we like the pilot and you've been picked up. You're under contract now. We're going to make a show. And that's where Jack Kenny gets introduced because now they need somebody to be in charge of producing this weekly thing. Right. So I really like the feel of this series. Um, it, it's very, a lot of people compare it to <clears throat> X-Files. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say right now, I think X-Files was a better show. Mm-hmm. But Warehouse 13 was a much more playful show in a lot of ways. I, well, I like it probably as much as I liked X Files at this point. I got to tell you, when I first started, and I'm brand new to the show, never saw it before. And I started, and I was a little put off by how flip it was. And I, I didn't buy it. I felt like, well, this is just a silly show. I, but the more I watched, the more I, I bought into how, I mean, they did silly, but they did it with gusto. They, they were into it. And once I, I realized they weren't just, being stupid that that yes it had a very playful 
atmosphere. The lead actor, Eddie McClintock, his character as Pete Latimer, was pretty broad. But after a while, I said, you know what? This is all working for me. I really like this. Where did you come across this show, DJ? Well, you know, this actually uh, ends up being a show that has a special place in my heart, as our uh, topics here at the Marriott often do. My introduction to this show was just after moving back home, to, uh, back to my home state from a decade away. My husband-to-be and I were moving in together. And at the time, it had been a number of years since my latest sci-fi show, and I'm a, I'm a Star Trek nerd, went off yeah. the air. So I was desperately clamoring for a new show to watch because, you know, even if you watch soaps, soap operas, you've got something you're following. And when they cancel your show, well, that's just terrible. Here we are moving in together and we learn about this show, Warehouse 13, and we tune into it. And it it becomes sort of the the song that we fell in love to because – here we move into our first place together and we're getting into watching this show. And one of the things that you'll learn as you start watching Warehouse 13 is, is some of the, the characters, their mannerisms and, you know, the, the guy that's basically in charge of the warehouse, the, the lovable, uh, you know, kind of um, curator uh, Artie is his name. He's he's a heavy set gentleman that likes his sweaters, but he also likes his baked goods. And uh, when uh, Micah and Pete first arrive at the warehouse, he tries to ply them with sweets. He offers them a plate of oatmeal scotchies. And for those uh, unfamiliar, uh, oatmeal scotchies are oatmeal cookies that have butterscotch morsels. So, uh, numbers. And we're about halfway through our show, so we're going to step on out here to the refreshment stand where our senior showgirl will be serving up all your favorite treats. And if you'll hang tight with us for a moment, here is a clip from the Wizard World 2020 virtual convention with Fandom Spotlight. It's a cast reunion from the members of Warehouse 13. Oh. Let's see. Let's go to another question from the group here. This one's kind of a crazy one. Apple's puzzles. Uh, this one is a question for the ladies. So if Micah, Claudia, Lena, uh, Miss Frederick, uh, we're all to have like a girl's night out, right? Um, where would they go? Where would you take me? I was just going to say. I think we would have to make it a numerous stop even okay. to satisfy okay. everybody's needs, right? Got you. Got you. Like, we had a hell of an education. I just saw <laughs> bowling alley. It just, I was like, I think we'd go bowling. Yeah, so we go bowling. We have a fine meal. We go to some like ratty concert hall later to see a punk band play. Claudia looks like I think we just have the warehouse limo and I we kind of tear the town up. I mean, yeah. where I love would we it. go? I like that. I can just see Mrs. Fredericks peeping out the window and go, no, I'll say this again. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I don't know. I think Ms. Fredericks is the first one to get Tell into a bar fight. Get back. <laughs> <laughs> For the fellas, where would you guys go? <laughs> the, the bar at the Soho. That's just boom. Um, well, where we all, where we all, where we had apartments, right? Where that, that restaurant bar place where you could see every American actor 
who was coming to Toronto. It was the Moe's Isley Cantina of Toronto. Yeah, yeah, it was. The Soho, which was walking distance from Blue Jay Stadium. And, uh, but that, that bar had more gossip in it about every show that was being shot in Toronto. <laughs> that, that, that was an amazing place. I don't know if it still must be, right? I don't know if actors still stay there or not. I have no idea. I haven't, I haven't shot in Toronto and stayed there since then, but that, that place was amazing. That's where we would go. Love that. I love that. Now, are you guys, this is a weird question, but are you fans of the show? Do you watch your own work? Never. No, constantly. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's and I can totally understand that. But based on the lore of of the series, um, what point in time or what warehouse would you like to see a show made out of that's not thirteen? So from one through twelve, what what era of warehouse would you want to see a show made out of? I'd like to see the future because obviously the past would be really interesting, but I think the future would also be very interesting because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. The, the history we could go back. And obviously that's such a huge part of the show, but I think if you had the writing staff and, and that, that we had the creativity in that, that they could bring to the future, I think would be really, really interesting. And I also think, you know, Allison would be there. So that would be pretty fun <laughs> to see too. There's going to be a warehouse on the moon and yeah. that's what's going to happen. That's all. What I liked about Artie and his food <laughs> is before a mission, he had this like doctor's bag or a little case. It looked like a doctor's bag, but maybe a little bigger. And he would run around uh, his office there in, in warehouse 13. And he would like, well, I, I might need this. And he'd put it in his bag. Oh, I might need this uh, special thing. And then he'd tuck it into his refrigerator and say, wow, oh, lunch, and put it into his bag. <laughs> he never forgot his lunch, uh, whatever mission he was about to run out on. So uh, I appreciated it, I appreciated that. And, and, you know, just picking up on the cookies, uh, that's actually something that we did. We, we like to do kind of a movie party, theme parties, and, you know, we've done that before. We'll all have something that's served in the movie if we've watched it before. We would make oatmeal scotchies for a while there. And uh, we would watch Warehouse 13. That would be our uh, routine. But also in the beginning, Micah said that she doesn't eat sweets because she's a government agent and she's trying to keep her figure. And later on in that same episode, she's uh, hunkered down very cozily in the bed and breakfast and she's stressed out. She's eating cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I appreciated were were the characters and it had... <clears throat> Pete Latimer, he was the the head secret service agent. He he bent the rules and he was pretty broad and he was silly and funny. Then there was Micah, who you just mentioned. She was kind of more by the book. Then there was uh, Artie, who was kind of in charge of the warehouse and kind of a kind of an absent-minded professor type, kind of. And then um, later on. There was Claudia, and she was a tech expert, and uh, some uh, woman who, who sort of was kind of like behind the scenes and kind of large and in charge, and uh, uh, she portrayed Irene, Mrs. Irene Frederick. So I, as the show goes on, the characters 
got better and better written. And as, as, as happens on TV series, they become more solid and they become, you know, okay, you know, this is Pete Latimer and this is Micah. And they became more solid characters with differentiating characteristics. And I loved the interaction between all of them. Uh, for just for example, Claudia, who was the tech expert, well, she sort of became the adopted daughter of Artie, and and Artie became like a father figure to Claudia, and that all happened over time. And you know, you can you can see how the writers were looking at the characters and how the actors. Uh, gave more of themselves into it. And, and like a lot of great long running shows, um, uh, their characters became more defined and their relationships became more defined. So I really loved that about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to treat our audience to a clip here of Mr. Eddie McClintock, who plays Pete, and he's describing how they got cast in their parts. When we got to the test, usually there's two of each character. Well, when we walked in, there was like seven or eight, seven or eight Micahs and seven or eight Pete's. So you just kind of go, oh, they have no idea what they want. We're just a number here, and my chance of getting this job is is one in eight. And then the guy that went in right before me, the director came out, and he said, "Hey, come here." And he put his he put his arm around this guy, and he walked down the hall with this guy. And I was like, "That's it, that's it." Really, Joanne was sitting. <laughs> She was like, dude, come hither. <laughs> and uh, I sat and talked to her and she um, she kind of talked me down a little bit. And she's like, you know, and, and she's pretty. So it's always <laughs> nice to have a pretty girl pay attention in, in the midst of trauma. And, um, and next thing you know, they, they, they um, pulled us in the room together. Pulled us in together. And we had just been sitting out there talking for a while. So um, I made a mistake. I, I was supposed to say showboat, and I said showbot. And he looks at me, and he stops, and he starts doing the robot. And I was going, showbot, showbot, showbot. <laughs> and he kept going. Like, and then I did stop. a, a Michael J- I'm not. So I tried him. to kind of get him back on track with the scene and everything. And You know, she's like, she like I hit you and was and like, said, what are you doing? Up, and kind of on. like, and you know, just kind of urged him back towards the lines and the dialogue. Much like um, our job. Yeah. Uh, And we left the room and they said, that's the show. Yeah. Mark Stern was like, there it is. Yeah. We need to, we need to look. We need a crazy person and a sensible person. And, and so I, (laughs) Uh, I did like their chemistry. I think it had a a great deal to do with, with how well the show worked. And, and just like, uh, uh, X-Files, uh, the actors who portrayed Skullard and Mulder, uh, they they had chemistry, and these two had chemistry. It was different from Scully and Mulder, but it was very appealing. I liked it. Yeah. Now, uh, the character of Pete Latimer, he was played by um, Eddie McClintock, and he was uh, 
rule-bending secret service. Now, Eddie McClintock was born in Ohio, the Buckeye State. He was almost 30 before he became began acting in more major roles like Warehouse 13. Hmm. And, uh, he was a former production assistant. So, you know, the guy who was getting things done around the, the studio. And uh, his hobbies included surfing, painting, and drumming. So, you know, sort of the uh, the uh, the the comic and the prankster. Uh, he appeared in three one-season shows for Fox in 98. There was a show called Holding the Baby. In 99, he appeared in Fox's one-season series, Stark Raving Mad. What was special about that show is it had Neil Patrick Harris and Tony Shalhoub. Uh, let's see. Tony Shalhoub. You're such a Shalhoub. <laughs> and uh, in 03, McClintock starred in a show called AUSA, which stood for Assistant United States Attorney. Uh, and then in 06, uh, just a little before he got into Warehouse 13, a few years later, he appeared in a show for ABC called Crumbs. And this show had Fred Savage, you know, from the Wonder Years mm-hmm. and everybody's favorite Saturday Night Live uh, star, Jane Curtin. And it was about a gay Hollywood screenwriter who returned to his hometown. So a lot of... Um, you know, uh, guest of the week roles for well, friends. He's immensely appealing in this role. I think, you know, uh, he, he could handle the drama and he was very endearing as, as kind of this dopey guy. I mean, really, Eddie McClintock is a little dopey, but in a very appealing way. And he worked well with the character of Micah. And Micah was played by Joanne Kelly. Um, and she played the by-the-book agent. Um, and she, she was born in Can- uh, Canada. And uh, her history is, and uh, she did some uh, a lot of television uh, she was in a Showtime series called Jeremiah. You might have seen her there. Um, and uh, that that show was created by J. Michael Straczynski, uh, who created Babylon 5. Um, Kelly, Joanne Kelly had a recurring guest role on Sib, uh, Slings and Arrows. You might remember that from uh, 2006. She was in Vanished for one season on Fox. Uh, about a senator wife that goes missing. Uh, she was on the Dresden Files in 2007 on NBC. Um, three appearances on that show. So that's that's a bit of her history. Um, uh, they were good together, these two actors. And uh, the third third guy that kind of rounded out it was Artie, um, the special agent in charge at the warehouse he's portrayed by very memorably by Saul Rubinick and uh he was born oh wait a minute that's his character sorry uh uh, he started out his professional career as a child actor uh in theater and radio in Canada by the way this show was done in Canada uh that's where they filmed everything as a lot of series you know found well, it was cheaper 
to go to Toronto and film there than it was to do it in America. So uh, his work on uh, U.S. and Canadian television uh, spanned for four decades. So you may have seen him in a lot of things. Uh, but in eight, 1987, he wrote and, and, and produced something called So Many Miracles, a book and documentary about an account of his parents' survival growing up in Poland during World War II. Uh, also, here's another place where you may have seen Saul Rubinick. And that was on Frasier. He was on 15 episodes of Frasier. And here's a clip from an interview on PC Principal podcast with Alison Scagliotti, the actress who played Artie's niece, Claudia. And apologies in advance, this interview was conducted in the hallway at the studio. Not being the star of the show, that's just where they tracked her down. Claudia's journey on this series has been like the most fascinating for me to watch. So how how has that been on the show from her character from the beginning to where she was kind of angry and got to get back in town, get my brother to where she is and where she's going to be at the end of the series? How's that journey been for you? You know, Claudia's character arc, her emotional journey, um, while we are different people, I can't stress that enough. I'm not a gamer or a computer hacker or hacker. I'm an actress who loves musicals. Um, you know, her life changes have really paralleled mine, simply because we're the same age. And I think a lot of young people go through the same changes, this sort of, you know, um, crisis of uh, destiny, right? Before even, before Claudia even um, was presented with the idea of becoming the future Mrs. Frederick, well, maybe do I want to go to college? Do I want to be an agent like Micah? And, and uh, you know, this is this is the age where we're trying on lots of different hats and sort of figuring out who we want to be in the world. And uh, I have certainly gone through that exact same arc with Claudia. Um, and now in the finale to see where she winds up, um, I couldn't be happier. So that kind of completes the main trio. And there's some additional actors. The only one, DJ, I, I want to make sure we at least mention mm -hmm. is an actress named CCH Pounder. Oh, ah! right. tell, just go tell us her because she's a reoccurring character on the show. She's not billed in the opening. Mm -hmm. But she appears throughout the entire run as a recurring character, an actress named C.C.H. Pounder. Yes, with a name like that, she is quite memorable in her scenes. And uh, she was born, uh, C.C.H. stands for Carol Christine Hilaria, last name Pounder. Uh, she's a Guyanese, so she's from the African continent. American actor, well, her family was, so she's a Guyanese American actress, and in her over five-decade career, now, you see her on Warehouse 13, but she's had a career on a lifetime before this, she appeared in numerous plays, films, TV shows, and miniseries, and she specialized in portraying women enriched with positive attributes, uh, women of power. Uh, they they uh, were women with strength, confidence, integrity, and strong-mindedness. Now, uh, CCH Pounder, Pounder, she appeared in 22 episodes of Warehouse 13 as Mrs. Irene, which we didn't learn until later, Frederick. So most people just called her Mrs. Frederick. And in movies, she was in Nurse Blake, 
in 1979's All That Jazz. This was her first film or screen debut. Most recently, she was in 2019 Godzilla movie. It was called King of the Monsters. And uh, the greater part of her career has been on television. So it's all been on, mostly had been on the smaller screen. It included 13 episodes of a show called Women in Prison. Her character was Dawn Murphy. That was in 87 and 88. And then there was 24 episodes of, uh, well, I think it might be um, ER. George Clooney's show, ER. Yeah. And that uh, was Dr. Angela Hicks between 94 and 97, the early days of ER, I think. Uh, she was also in five episodes of Millennium as Dr. Cheryl Andrews from 90. Uh, yeah. Uh, Millennium was a. Uh, by the same people who did X-Files. Oh, it was that, very short-lived. Yeah, that name was familiar. I was wondering about that. Uh, she also had 89 episodes of The Shield. That's a, uh, a Baltimore-based uh, police drama show. And her character was Claudette Wims. And she was on there between 02 and 08. And uh, she's currently playing Dr. Loretta Wade. Now, here's uh, a little bit of uh, fan play here. And uh, she is in this show with Star Trek actor. Well, not originally, but sci-fi actor um, Scott Bakula. NCIS New Orleans from uh, yeah. 2014. Good Lord. NCIS, all of those Police procedural shows. Who knew they would take over network TV the way they have? Well, you know, if you you had asked my grandmother, she probably would have told you because that's all she watched. (laughs) Well, they're tremendously popular. Apparently, I've never seen a single one. But that doesn't mean anything other than I haven't had access to, you know, to network TV. Well, I think at very least I'm going to watch NCIS New Orleans because it's got Scott Bakula, Captain Archer, of course, from Star Trek Enterprise. Man. And, and now I know Mrs. Frederick's on there. I mean, I've got to watch That's it. right. Uh, DJ, a lot of people compare this, uh, say that uh, Warehouse 13 was a mix of the X-Files. It was a mix of Moonlighting. Do you remember Moonlighting? Vaguely, I I, I remember seeing some of the reruns uh, when it was just recently off the air, and that was um, that was Simple Shepherd mm-hmm. and uh, what's his face uh, Bruce. That that that. <laughs> I like to call him Demi Moore's ex-husband, uh, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, uh, when he had hair, or at least it was a hair piece. Anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, the the playful uh, repartee between. Uh, Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis is compared to Warehouse 13. And also Billy Starsage, your very husband, DJ, mm-hmm. says in the uh, chat room that another series it was very much like was Friday the Turth, uh, fr- Friday the Turth, <laughs> Friday the 13th TV show, uh, which was kind of also. It wasn't a warehouse, but it was just a collection of weird things that they they possessed and were watching out for. In other words, Warehouse 13 is a warehouse full of weird things that have these strange powers that people covet. 
And the people of Warehouse 13 just want to store them and, and keep them away from the people that would misuse them. So that idea, you know, some might say is ripped right out of Friday the 13th, the TV show. That's what, uh, that's what Billy Starsage says. And well, yeah, I mean, that was a similar concept. Um, so a lot of, a lot of sources came into establishing this show. And I don't recall the original channel or station or network, what have you, that Friday the 13th aired on. But I do remember the first time that I got to watch the Friday the 13th series was in reruns on the Sci-Fi channel in its early days when some of the staple programs at the time, uh, because they weren't making their own original shows yet, were things like The Bionic Woman. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy just posted a really interesting couple of pictures it shows the library from Friday the 13th, the TV show, and then it shows the warehouse. And, and well, you know, I mean, the similarity is undisputable. Uh, so, uh, but I, I, I think that they were different enough TV shows. They had that one thing in common. I'll give it, I'll give you that. Um, also, one of the th one of the things about Warehouse Thirteen, and and Billy mentions this too, uh, is there was a steampunk vibe, uh, and it may have been used in Friday the Thirteenth, but it was really used in uh, very freely in Warehouse Thirteen. A lot of the gizmos uh, that had the steep steampunk vibe and how do we describe steampunk DJ? Um, what, what is that i think that steampunk would be a a present day imagining of the the romance of the early days of technology like the industrial revolution crossing over into the 20th century so yeah. we imagine you know everything of course um we, we we have the misfortune of some people with artistic ability imagining it's this item, but with lots of gears glued on to it. And that's not weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, but, but uh, steam, the steampunk vibe in, it involves gears and s coiled springs and uh, leather and... Uh, Tactile. I, I can't describe it. It's very hard to describe. It's it's almost like um, Jules Verne. Jules Verne. Yes, H.G. Wells. Oh, the H.G. Wells time machine in uh, the movie by that I'm forgetting uh, with uh, that I'm forgetting. Uh, but uh, that that uh, that chair that he sat in. Uh, that uh, sent him back in time. That's a, a perfect example of steampunk. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that, by the way, did you happen to see the episode of Warehouse 13 where the characters are all turned into one-dimensional steampunk versions of themselves? Did you see that episode? I remember it when it originally aired, but I haven't watched it recently enough for it to be fresh in my mind. It was wonderfully animated. 
an example of how far they were willing to take Warehouse 13 into the comedic uh, environment. This was a show that could be many things, and the showrunner uh, understood that. It, it could be dramatic. It, it could be, there could be life and death high stakes. And then they could do maybe a, a weird Christmas episode that just touched just the right basis. And then they did a steampunk weirdo show where they're in two dimensions and the entire, well, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I, I gather much of the episode is animated with with the voices of the actors and you know very obviously very broad very comedic but they were willing to go there and they went there but it wasn't stupid or silly they really uh supported it i mean they went down that road but they went down that road with vim and vigor i guess that's what i want to say mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, um, speaking of H.G. Wells that you were talking a moment ago, that actually gets incorporated. You know, we we actually get a character on Warehouse 13. It had a few recurring appearances, and that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the storytelling of Warehouse 13. You had the ability to use history to tell a story through an artifact. yes. And we learned that everybody assumes that the great author H.G. Wells, it had to have been a man, but we get this wonderful character on Warehouse 13, who we, we come to learn as Helena, but she is H.G. Wells. So maybe what we've learned from history isn't the truth. Wasn't that wonderful? That was a nice bit. That really was. It certainly was. And and uh, for those who haven't gotten to see it yet, that's one incentive to check out Warehouse 13 is they, they take liberty with history. And it's not necessarily unbelievable. I mean, they, they even go so far as to explain that H.G. Wells invented this time machine to save the daughter that she lost. A lot of people have said, like, you know, I watched this show and it was great and it was entertaining, but I also learned a lot about history. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I, 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 I think that's integral to uh, the writers and the showrunner where they they wanted it grounded in history. So I got a list for you, DJ. We can't go into all of them. Oh, sure. Right. DJ, but I got a list of the things that were in Warehouse 13. Okay. All right. So let me just breeze down them, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mention the things that catch my eye. Okay, here we go. Abraham Lincoln's top hat hmm. is in Warehouse 13. Uh, it imbues. Okay, so all of these things in Warehouse 13, folks. What you got to know is, in a way that we don't really know why, they're imbued with special powers that come from the person that owned them. Not that they intended them to have it, but it's almost like a a lingering thing. They have this object. It's part of their life. In this case, Abraham Lincoln's top hat. And 
sometimes somehow becomes imbued with a part of them. It's a little magical. It's never really explained. But so let me continue. Abraham Lincoln's top hat imbued the wearer with the overwhelming urge to free nearby African-American people, believing them to be slaves of impulse which apparently got uh, the character Pete into hot water with Mrs. Frederick. Uh, here we go. Agatha Christie's, she's a writer with many mystery novels, Agatha Christie's typewriter. Uh, well, she outlined dark, dark plots on that typewriter. It was first seen in the pilot episode, and its effect being mentioned uh, in the website, and, well... I don't know what the effect was. So I'm reading off of notes. I'm not sure where they're going to go. Oh, lordy, lordy. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's showerhead, the prop from the movie Psycho. Uh, well, that apparently causes overwhelming fear. That object is in the warehouse. Let's just keep going down. We're still in the A's. Let me get at least to the B's. And them. Uh, Bob Dylan's bus transfer. Uh, his transition from acoustic to electric caused a major change in music caused by the uproar of his fans. This bus transfer, I guess it's a ticket, was imbued with the power to transfer energy, used to transfer the energy of Francis Farmer's music box from Claire into Micah. I guess that happened in an episode. Uh, let me just spin down here. There's so many. I mean, there's hundreds uh, because many of these were only mentioned on the show and only a few got actually to be part of the show. So a lot of them were only mentioned. Oh, well, Harry Houdini. <clears throat> So he had some magic props. The warehouse is shown to have a small section devoted to Houdini alone, uh, containing many of the props he used in his tricks, including the water tank and his ball, chain, and straitjacket in his famous specs. That's very steampunk. If the props are artifacts or merely used as a display is not said. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not coming up with great. I'm just doing this off the fly, folks. I'm, I'm not coming up with great examples. All right. Uh, here's one that totally was in several episodes. It's a pearl necklace. It fe it's featured in a couple of very important episodes because a pearl gets placed into the ear of a victim at, in Warehouse 13, and their mind is is able to uh, be controlled. So the pearl necklace allows the wearer uh, to oh, teleport at will, worn by Mrs. Frederick, and responsible for her ability to pop in and out of a room. <laughs> All right, now, that's a thing in Warehouse 13, because she comes and goes, and it's never explained, like, oh, she's here. Oh, well, she's gone. And it's never explained, but it's because she's wearing these pearls. And Toppy, there's a terrific moment where Artie shows up just unannounced in a room that Pete's in in an episode. And Pete literally says to Artie, did you just Mrs. Frederick me? <laughs> it's an adjective or a verb. Oh, 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, okay, so, um, well, uh, the Trojan horse, uh, that is in the quarantine zone of the warehouse. Uh, we see it in the opening credits. Um, I'm just, just list there, Toppy. Yeah, one one last thing. Walt Disney's paintbrush, uh, according to the label of this artifact, the brush animates directly from the painter's imagination. Anything painted by the brush becomes 3D, appears to be alive, and looks and behaves in a cartoonist fashion. This was used in the plot by Pete to paint his shoes, which quickly ran away. <laughs> so they had fun with history. They really made up backstories for these hundreds of objects from history. Um, and it's, it's a nifty bit of trivia to, to just kind of follow them. And, you know, um, like a lot of shows that have a, a secret agent or a government type, they of course go around with their holsters and their sidearms, but because HG Wells was involved with the past of the warehouse, um, they adopt a uh, sort of a mentality of nonviolence. They actually have a weapon that does not shoot bullets. It's electrified. It was invented in Victorian times, and it's literally called a Tesla. <laughs> so it's there. It's the warehouse 13 version of a ray gun. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, a nifty looking prop again. A steampunk design. Very cool looking. Before we go ahead and uh, mention uh, the other programs you might enjoy, I thought I'd just take a moment to mention some of the appeal of the show. And uh, in hindsight, I think possibly what caused me to you know, fall for to enjoy Warehouse 13 so much is that um, my school experience was at the early days of the internet. The, the whisperings of the dial-up were just in my ear. We didn't do away with the card catalog just yet. So I was one of those kids who used to do extra credit reports, and I hung out in the ah. library. I love you, DJ. I just <laughs> uh, That is just absolutely wonderful. And so Warehouse 13 appealed to me because essentially the warehouse is just history's library. And of course, objects that have passed through history have magical properties because they get to tell you what was happening at the time and to who. Mm. And also, of course, I relate to the Mike character because she was a book nerd and I used to be. And I, I think they did a good job wrapping things up. They they had they were very fortunate. They they got to be on the uh, the you know the take not the take, but they were they knew the end was coming, and they got to write endings in for their characters. They wrapped it up with a nice little bow, and we got to see Micah with the mousy curly hair. Maybe care a little bit more about herself. She was straightening her hair. She was doing her makeup a little bit more, dressing a little more provocatively. Not that you have to, but sometimes your outward appearance can be a reflection of your inner. And so that was one way that they showed the evolution of her character. Mm -hmm. It's the same way that I rock the homeless look. 
<laughs> no, really. Uh, well, we got to wrap it up. We're, we're getting at that time, aren't mm -hmm. we? We are. Uh, so you liked Warehouse 13. So did I. Uh -huh. What, if anything, do you have to recommend that if people like Warehouse 13, that maybe they'd like what? What would you suggest? Okay, well, I've got a double hitter here. I've got uh, two things that were both TV shows. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. One was a TV show and a movie. I'm going to suggest a uh, film that was made actually before Warehouse 13. It was from 2004 called The Librarian. And uh, this was sort of the, the beginning of that idea that uh, items in history could tell a story. And uh, they later made a TV series of it before oh. Warehouse 13 was off the air. And it was on TNT, so mm. The Librarians. And uh, it starred John Larroquette. And uh, I will also give a nod, a recommendation, to a two-film series starring Nicolas Cage in a similar vein called National Treasure, where... They're basically on a uh, scavenger hunt to find artifacts that uh, were important parts of history. And those were in 2004 and 2007. Uh, yeah, National Treasure was, was uh, Nicholas Cage. It was a bit like uh, Indiana Jones, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have not seen that. Now, uh, Warehouse 13 is, is often said to be well it's it's very indiana jones and uh, well there's one episode where they went out of their way to do a very indiana jones episode but but the only comparison really is at the end of the first indiana jones movie there's the shot of the warehouse where they're hiding the ark of the covenant that's about it, folks. So uh, aside from the one episode where they parodied and, and did a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, well, tribute, uh, I'm not sure there's much else to compare. Um, I'm going to suggest um, what we've already mentioned is Friday the 13th, the series, it was a fantasy horror television series, uh, ran for three seasons in first-run syndication. In other words, it, it wasn't a network thing. Any, any station could pick it up if they wanted it, and it would typically air late at night. Um, and the series follows Mickey and Ryan, and they inherit an antique store, uh, which, which ends up having been cursed and uh, they, they've got to account and give away all these cursed antiques. I think that's the, the gist of it. Uh, oh, uh, but, 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 but they work together to try to recover them. So there's a, a, a as we said before, a very um specific relationship to warehouse 13 is kind of the same thing also i'm just going to recommend again what i think is a better tv show uh and that's the x-files and and uh the two actors in that show carried the almost almost 
the entire uh, number of seasons on the basis of how they interacted with one another, which is a huge part of the appeal of Warehouse 13. So if you like Warehouse 13, for heaven's sakes, you're gonna if you haven't seen it, you're gonna like the X Files. So there you go. Okay. Well, Toppy, we've reached the end of our show. So we've uh, wound out here in the lobby and we're standing in front of the magical uh, gumball machine. So if you could reach up there on the shelf and grab that bag of coins for me. Okay, I got it. Here you go. Put it in there. All right, we're going to fire this up. Okay, so the next time we get together is going to be a little bit uh, further off because we got an early start in April. We only do this twice a month, first and third Friday. So the next time we gather, it's going to be Friday, May 7th. Toppy, Mm. go ahead and open that capsule for us. All right, here we go. The next movie we're going to do is a true favorite of mine. It's a little obscure. It was made in 1976, and it was directed by Nicholas Gesner. It starred Jodie Foster and Martin Sheen. This movie is called The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. It's a little weird. It's a bit of a thriller, a quiet thriller. It focuses on a 13-year-old portrayed by Jodie Foster, who has absent parents. Um, And she lives in a house by herself in a very conservative small town in Maine. So she tries to get everyone to believe that she's living there with her parents. Her parents are no, they're nowhere to be seen. And the movie is about what happens to her and some of the friends she makes. And it is very weird. It's a little controversial. Uh, And it's a great movie. And that's what we're going to do next time on Matinee Minutia, the little girl who lives down the lane. I'm looking forward to that one. So we got a little bit of time to catch it. And uh, if you are a member of our Facebook group, we might even share a way to find this next film if you want to do your homework with us. So, Toppy, if you'll look over the balcony, please, let us know who was in the chat room with us tonight. We're really happy you guys joined us. We had Marin Gertz come in. We had Cronehaven uh, come in for a bit. We've got our ever-present, always-here, Aunt Tudor, always-here, Tommy Hashbrowns. We have Artie Cruiser, who came by, and we thank you so much for helping us out being here in our live chat room and uh, uh, chatting it up with us. Okay. So uh, 
What did that older couple on the radio say when it was time to say goodbye? Well, you got to say, say goodnight, Gracie. You got to say that. Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show? Or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.